This is an ABC podcast. Hey, it's Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. Do you ever lie awake at night wondering, hey, when is a sinister mushroom going to turn me into a zombie? A lot of us are thinking that probably, thanks to The Last of Us. Was a video game, now a TV show. Could an apocalypse like that actually happen? It sounds a bit weird. Yes, you're probably thinking it's fiction. But people have real questions about a possible fungi pandemic when they hear that a bit of it's based on truth. Which part? We'll find out. We're all pretty sensitive after our recent pandemic experience, aren't we? Also, the TikTok testing that's leaving some of you in silence will fill you in what's going on there. First, though. Hack. If the dating apps don't want to get better at it, my page will be there to support them. (laughs) On Triple Jack. If you're in the thick of dating, there's probably been a time when you thought, you know, I wish it was as easy to find reviews of the people I'm chatting with as it is to find reviews of a local takeaway place. The thing is, it is kind of happening now informally in some communities. Thousands of people are sharing all the details of their dodgy and dangerous exes on social media because they're saying dating apps are not doing enough to protect women. There are Facebook pages with names like, Is This Your Man? And they're becoming really popular. The people setting up these pages say, look, we're only trying to help women avoid matching with dangerous men online. But on the other hand, lawyers are saying it's a defamation minefield. And in a bit, you're going to hear from a lawyer who'll explain those risks. But first, here's Jade Toomey to tell you how these so-called Google reviews for men work. Sarah got her new dog Trixie a few months ago to help her kind of fill the void in her home when she broke up with the guy she was seeing. She's a very good girl. <laughs> well, they are. They're way more happy to see me. Made them loyal. She'd met him on a dating app and he seemed really wonderful until he started becoming manipulative and violent and dangerous. It's so hard because you don't know them online at all. She was frustrated, so she created a Facebook page where she could warn other women to avoid them having to go through the same thing. And, yeah, I just needed to do something positive and to help other women because I couldn't be the only woman going through this. Like, no way. After just over a month, her page has grown to more than 2,500 members from her hometown in Townsville in North Queensland, where the dating pool's small and social scenes are often interconnected. So that was my whole sort of thing to get girls, women, sort of to be aware of who's who, just to catch them out, really. I think the more we catch and they know they're going to get caught out, they're either going to crack a nana or they're actually going to fix their behaviour. On the page, women post a photo, name and details about men they think are dangerous and Sarah moderates dozens of posts a day. Some get hundreds of comments where women find out they've been a victim of abuse, manipulation or violence by men with patterns of dangerous repeat behaviour. It's really hard. It's hard to figure out who's good and who's bad. So that's, yeah, the biggest thing. Pages like Sarah's have become more and more popular as women search for reassurance about the men they're meeting on dating apps. She was a teacher and a much-loved daughter and friend who's become another shameful statistic. Safety concerns have reached new heights after the December death of Danielle Finlay-Jones, who was allegedly murdered in Sydney after meeting a man on an online dating app. 19-year-old Alizé Hope is the founder of one Facebook group with nearly 20,000 women from across Australia and New Zealand. Dating online shouldn't be that dangerous. 
and it's sad because that's the reality of the situation. The Australian Institute of Criminology recently surveyed nearly 10,000 dating Apple website users. Three quarters had experienced a form of sexual violence by someone they'd met through a matchmaking service. And I want to put a stop to that. I want women to spread awareness on these men who think they can get away with stuff like this because it's not right. Alizé says women use the page as a kind of companion to dating apps and check it before they swipe right on any matches. Before they do anything, they'll go through my page, look up their name, because if you just search in the search bar and somebody's mentioned their name, it'll all come up. Everything that's said about them, comments, photos, posts. And I think that's a beautiful thing. But what are the risks of posting about a dodgy ex online? defamation lawyer Sophie Robertson says it could become a legal minefield. So theoretically any publication that's able to be accessed by even just one other person could potentially give rise to a defamation claim. So it would need to be something that's derogatory in nature makes the ordinary reasonable person looking at that reading it to think less of the person who it's about, has to identify the person, and then all it needs is a very small publication, extent of publication, before you've basically met all of the elements of a defamation claim against you. And then the next question would be, what defences do you have available to that claim? The main one would be justification, which is, which is truth in what you've posted. So what's the solution here? In an effort to tackle the issue, a national roundtable meeting last month with stakeholders, including dating app companies, considered whether dating app users should have to disclose their criminal background. But Alizé knows any potential changes could be years away. And in the meantime, more women could be at risk. If the dating apps don't want to get better at it, my page will be there to support them. <laughs> Hack on Triple J. Jade Toomey there, and I'm keen to hear from you. If you use one of these pages, have you found it useful? Maybe you're dead against them. Let me know. 0439757555. We're already getting through some messages. Maddie in Canberra says, we had one of these groups created for Canberra. It turned into males making the same page, but posting nudes and calling women horrible names. Another person says, as an ex-street worker, we had something like this called the ugly mug list. I want to get more into the legalities of these pages because you should know about this stuff if you're posting about people you need to know about defamation we hear about it a lot dr david rolf is a professor of law at the university of sydney he's with us now hey david thanks for coming on hack thanks a lot people talk a lot about defamation we hear about it quite a bit in the media lots of news stories what is it though for those who haven't done um a degree in law what is defamation, how is it defined? So uh, defamation is anything that is published that tends to lead ordinary people to think less of you. Um, And it's really concerned with protecting people's reputation. It's balanced against the right to freedom of speech, um, but uh, it's highly protective of reputation. So basically defamation is anything that will tend to make people think less of you. Okay. Well, as we've just heard, a lot of women are using these Facebook pages to talk about their experiences with specific men, review them, give warnings. How risky is that in terms of defamation? So look, it does carry a risk of defamation. So now in most places around Australia, you'd need to prove serious harm to reputation. But 
um, which will turn on how many people you've published to and the nature of the allegations. But the sorts of allegations that are being made here are, would normally be considered by the law to be serious in nature. Um, and so they're the sorts of things that could adversely affect someone's reputation. Um, so the issue then becomes really uh, what defences might be available to, to someone. Okay. And what are the consequences? Like if you um, if if you have been accused of defamation and then that's upheld, what kind of punishment are we facing? Well, so it's not, I mean, it may feel like punishment, but I mean, the major, you know, remedy for defamation is an award of damages. But before you get to that, um, there are st- steps that need to happen. So you are usually, you will have to be issued with what's known as a concerns notice. So if you've published something, you'll normally receive a concerns notice from someone who wants to sue you. And so they have to do that in most places around Australia now before they actually commence proceedings. And what that does is it gives you an opportunity to consider whether you want to take the material down or apologise or things like that. So, you know, before you actually get to being sued, you have that sort of initial step. But if you do go to proceedings, then the usual remedy is an award of damages. The problem, of course, is with any form of litigation uh, in Australia, you've also got then the question of costs as well, which, you know, can mount up. And in fact, it's not unheard of for damages uh, to be dwarfed by the legal costs that are involved in a defamation proceeding. Right. Okay. Well, let's say you do decide that you want to post something, you know it's true, you 100% back yourself. How would you go about defending that? Because there's this thing called the truth defense, right? If it's true and you can prove that, then you should be okay, right? Well, yes. So truth is a complete defence to defamation um, and it has been for a long time. The problem, of course, is the onus is on you to prove it and you have to prove it by admissible evidence. Um, and so that can often be very difficult uh, difficult to do because, you know, there are things that you might know if you actually had to be true, but if you had to prove them by evidence that is admitted in court, then that might be a bit more problematic. But truth is a, truth is a complete defence. What if you are a person on one of these pages who's just commented on a post about someone? Like, let's say you didn't write the initial post that spelled out everything, but you added a comment maybe about your experience. Could you still find yourself in trouble? Yeah. So, I mean, that would then be considered a publication itself. Um, and so you could be liable if you make a defamatory comment, you could be liable for that comment. Yeah, so it's not just the person who initially posts the material. And so that would probably extend to the administrators of these pages as well, right? Yeah, so we're now starting to see instances where administrators of social media pages are being sued and being held liable as publishers, not only of their own comments or the primary comments that are uh, posted, but also comments in response to that. Um And so we've seen instances in the Victorian County Court, for example, where that's started to happen following on from the High Court's decision in Fairfax and Voller. So this is something that the courts are starting to kind of see a lot more of as people are posting more stuff on social media. People are also taking legal action based on what's being said in Facebook groups and things like that. Yeah, we are starting to see a few more of these sorts of cases starting to to filter through. Um, you know, there are probably more instances where, you know, uh, concerns are raised earlier on and they sort of settle before they reach the courts. But we are now starting to see judgments in cases. What if you're anonymous? Like, what if you're not posting under your identity, your name's not out there? Could you still be at risk of being sued for defamation? 
There is still a risk because no one is wholly anonymous. So there are mechanisms under, you know, rules of court where people can apply to the court to have uh, the social media company disclose information that might identify you. And so we've seen this in the context of people purporting to publish uh, anonymous Google reviews that, you know, Google has been ordered by the federal court on a number of occasions to disclose information leading to the identification of the person who actually posted, albeit anonymously, the Google review. Um, So there are those sorts of mechanisms. So just because you are posting anonymously is not a complete guarantee that you can't be found. Dr. David Rolfe, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks a lot. Hack on Triple J. We've got a lot of messages coming through on this one. Marshy and Sandringham says if the law properly protected women, they wouldn't need to resort to these groups. Um, there's lots of changes happening in the law. We know, you know, police in South Australia are allowing people at risk of domestic violence, people concerned about the welfare of someone they know. They can apply for access to information about their partner or former partner. We know the New South Wales government's also promised to extend its right to know scheme if it wins next month's election. That's on the cards as well. Um, we also are hearing more from the dating apps at the moment. We talked about the big roundtable that's happening. Um, Tinder announced just in the last day that new safety measures are coming into place that it says are going to better protect people, allow users to block people before you match. All of this is happening. Uh, we're going to keep you right across it as the discussions continue. It's going to be uh, many months in the making. Hack. I would beg them, actually, like on my knees begging, please. Please just let independent artists get their shot. Please don't take this away from them. On Triple J. If you're on TikTok a lot, you might have noticed something a bit different lately. Because some Australian users are effectively being used as guinea pigs in a test by TikTok. They're looking at music usage on the platform. And what this test that they're doing means is some users can't access the full music and sounds library. Is this you? Maybe you've been wondering what's going on. You've been a bit confused about it or you're over it. Let me know. 0439 757 555. Look, it's annoying for anyone affected, but it's actually having a pretty significant impact on independent artists and content creators right across the country. They say they're missing out and some are tossing up whether they want to leave the app altogether. April McLennan's got more. I'm guessing some of these are pretty familiar songs to most of you. They're commonly used on TikTok. But over the past few weeks, about half of Aussie users haven't been able to access the platform's full music and sound library. In a statement, TikTok told Hack they're running a test in Australia to analyse how music is accessed and used on the platform. And they said they appreciate this may be disappointing for their community and artists if a certain track is temporarily unavailable or muted on a video. Australian pop musician Coda Banks is one of the unlucky ones. Her account's been affected. Like the 50% of users that this does affect, it affects you specifically. So I've noticed that all of my old songs and videos that I've posted, other people can hear them, right? But I either can't hear them or if I want to continue posting my own songs, I actually can't even access that sound. Coda says TikTok begged independent content creators and artists to promote their own music on the platform. 
and now they're not letting some of these creators have access to sounds they need to create their content. That's suspicious. That's weird. Coda says because she doesn't have access to her own music, it's really impacted the way she promotes her new songs. By the time these tests are over, I am moving on to the next song. There goes my opportunity to promote this song that I spent so much money and time on and I invested everything into and I was so proud of. And like, I planned the whole of last year around this release and a month is like a year in in song cycle time. And so it's so stressful. Have you ever wondered how much Michelangelo was paid to paint the Sistine Chapel? No, but I bet you're gonna tell me anyway. 1,000 gold ducats. That's Mary McGillivray. She's an Aussie content creator who makes TikToks about art history. Unfortunately, TikTok's changes mean more than half of her previous videos have been made unwatchable for a large chunk of her audience. It's frustrating because some of my videos that have been muted have edits that I've made externally with music that I've paid a license for on a third-party platform. Um, and I have that license, but there's no way for me to say, I have the license here, TikTok, I have the license. You know, this isn't a copyright violation. Mary says she didn't even get a warning from TikTok about the test. Basically, from what I know, I think TikTok is in some sort of copyright uh, legal battle with certain record labels about uh, how much they should be paying for the record labels to have the music on their platform. And unfortunately, it feels like creators are just being caught in the crossfire of this dispute. Mary says she feels pretty lucky to have other ways of making a living, but it's a pretty bad situation for some content creators who rely on their videos as their main source of income, with brand collaborations now at risk. My money don't jiggle jiggle, it falls, I like to see you wiggle wiggle, for sure. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan with that story and in a statement, TikTok apologised. It says it's looking forward to restoring the full catalogue of sounds and music at the end of the test period. We don't know when that is. Got messages coming through. Someone says, I hate the Oh No song so much, delete it forever. Fully, I hear you on that one. But we want to dive into these tests and changes a bit more. And Guardian Australia journalist Matilda Bosley has been following this closely. She's been speaking with a heap of affected creators and is with us now. Hey, Matilda, thanks for coming on Hack. Hi there. TikTok's provided us with the same statement I'm imagining you got. doesn't mention how long this disruption for a lot of users is going to last. Do we know when the tests are going to wrap up? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, the official sort of uh, communication with creators has been that it will be a month-long period. Um, but then again, you know, uh, it has been quite opaque. You know, a, a lot of creators have been left with pretty much a four-sentence uh, statement or, or perhaps not much longer than that. Uh, and that's if they've managed to request it. We, the vast majority of people, if not all people who were affected by this test, weren't informed at all. Uh, a lot of the people who even weren't uh, directly involved only learned about this going on because uh, their comments were filled with people saying, why can't I hear any of your videos anymore? Uh, and things like that. So it's been, I think, quite distressing, honestly, especially for the people who do rely on this, who have, uh, you know, bills and, and mortgages that are based on uh, the ability to make money off TikTok uh, to, yeah, wake up one day and have 
potentially the majority of their back catalogue now completely unwatchable. Can you explain why TikTok would want to be doing a test like this? Like, why would they want to analyse how music is accessed in such an extreme way? Yeah, look, we don't know anything um, for certain. Uh, Reporting from Bloomberg has previously suggested that they have been engaged, the the worldwide brand, not just the Australian branch, um, have been engaged in a quite a long negotiation process with some of the major music record labels. Uh, And there's a big question about how much those record labels should be getting as part of uh, the ad revenue generated on the app. Uh, So one of the theories of what's happening and what this, you know, test is all about is the idea of if they can, you know, take a large group of people, see and analyse if usage goes down when the majority of music or a large section of music isn't available on the platform. So essentially creating a music-free TikTok uh, to some degree for a huge number of people and then analyse whether usage goes down or not. And if usage doesn't go down, then that may potentially give the company a better bargaining pl- uh, platform to say, you know, look, this we aren't totally reliant on music. This isn't the absolute value add uh, for our customers. That being said, this is all sort of speculation at the moment. TikTok have not confirmed any of that. But um, yes, that's been a big part of the discussion that's been going around. Right. Okay. So potentially a lot of money at stake here, but as you say, not confirmed. This is all just speculation. You know, it's important to remember TikTok's also a big source of news and information for heaps of young people, Matilda. I mean, you put a lot of um, explainers and stuff like that on, on the platform. Is that kind of content also affected? Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, some of the uh, Guardian TikToks uh, that I've I've produced have been affected, have had sound taken off. Um, The ABC, I know, has been affected a lot. Um, Pretty much anything with uh, the background music involved uh, has been muted for a large percentage of the Australian user base. Uh, And this is even songs that are accessed and added to videos through the TikTok app. I think that's important to note as well. And even as um, Mary had mentioned earlier, songs that have been independently licensed. But yes, so there's a lot of educational and news content that now just isn't accessible to people. And especially when you know, it's it's uh, half of an entire country and it's a place where a lot of people get their news. It's it's a really a central news platform for a lot of people that does create questions about, you know, people's ability to engage in just the day-to-day uh, political conversation and uh, be aware of what's going on in the world if uh, Australian news platforms are also kind of becoming unwatchable for them. And Matilda, you wrote a piece on this recently. It kind of outlines the whole you know, situation, what's going on here. Um, But you said in there, like, it's a tricky time for this to happen because it does seem like there's a bit of a strained relationship between some creators and TikTok. What's that about? Yeah, look, I think uh, for a long time, for um, and especially increasing in in recent months and this, you know, this month really in particular, I've been hearing from a lot of TikTok creators that they're very upset with the app. I think there's a big culture on the app of uh, there's a higher level of what content is allowed and what isn't than, say, on other platforms. People are often quite worried about what words they include in videos and stuff. You know, it's, it's even spawned its own 
you know, Gen uh, Gen Z dia- dialect, you know, in terms of saying unalived rather than killed and things like that. It's quite pervasive, that that sort of idea. Again, we don't actually know what degree this, the, um, you know, uh, those content restrictions are, but it's it's been very observed. Um, and so this has been, uh, for a lot of people, uh, have been saying that this is almost the final straw. And it also comes at a time where a lot of other social media platforms are springing up their own short form video mm. streams. You know, you see this with TikTok Reels and YouTube Shorts and Facebook is investing more into video as well. And some creators are being approached by other companies yeah. with deals for exclusivity and to have exclusive content and I think what I've heard is that this test and the lack of warning around it and the kind of, I guess, the feeling that they've been disrespected or used as guinea pigs in a certain way is really tipping them towards that direction, even if that wasn't... Interesting. Yeah. Look, it's, it's something that we'll definitely be keeping an eye on. We know you will as well. Matilda Bosley from Guardian Australia, thank you very much for your time. A lot of messages on this one. Time to move on. It's a zombie apocalypse, more terrifying than we've ever seen before, because The Last of Us is inspired by real science. On Triple J. Do you know there are about one and a half million species of fungi? So which ones are going to turn us into zombies? I'm serious. This is a legitimate question because I don't know whether you've seen The Last of Us, but this TV show based on the video game about people trying to survive a global pandemic caused by a mass fungal infection, the mushies are turning people into zombies. It's all pretty sick until you find out this, you know, make-up, made-up show is based on a real-life species of fungus that kind of takes over the minds of insects. So could this happen? Is there going to be a fungi apocalypse? Got someone with us now who will be hopefully able to tell us. Dr. Heike Neumeister-Kemp is a mycologist that's someone who studies fungi, by the way. Um, she's with us now. Hello, Heike. Thanks for being with us. I'm wondering, this must be a busy time for mycologists. Has The Last of Us been a good or bad thing for the fungi world? It certainly raises awareness and it's great for us that there is actually awareness about mycology because it's a subject that's not very well known. So is this species of fungus that messes with the minds of insects, what is it? Is it something that could affect humans as well? Well, as that particular species, Cordyceps, um, actually is very dependent on the body temperature and Mammals are very hot, as we are 37 degrees, and reptiles are much cooler. So cordyceps actually intercepts ants or other reptiles, and then it can grow inside the body. And the idea is that the insect then distributes the fungi further. So the fungi actually don't want to kill us. It actually just want to spread further to then grow even more. Um, The thing is that we have exactly 37 degrees to protect us from fungal infections and that for cordyceps or other fungal infections are not very likely to take over. Now saying that, there's another spanner in the works where with the global warming, fungi accelerate to adapt to higher body temperature. So Minus the actually zombie part, yes, it is quite likely that the infection will be rising and 
the seriousness of that infections. Right. That's so interesting. So as we see the temperature change in the world, it could affect all sorts of things. Right. Okay. So, but you're saying the zombie thing is not going to happen. I'm just confirming. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not happening. <laughs> it is no. not likely, but we really need to be aware of fungal infections and the rise of fungal infections due to global warming. And that is in our houses and if we breathe it in, and that fungi adapt more and more to our higher body temperature. Okay, look, I don't know whether that's a, a good enough, um, you know, strong enough response in terms of it may it may still happen. Who knows? There's a possibility a window there. Um, Dr. Heike, do you think fungi gets a bad rap? Like, can you tell us some good stuff about it that might make us feel a bit better? Well, fungi are absolutely essential to break down all our waste. Um, They are also really important to brew beer, to eat nice cheese. And we can actually grow a lot of material now with the mycelium of fungi. And then, of course, if we look at fungi like maidenhair and uh, reiki and other things, they have really, really important medical implication to help us, for example, with dementia, Um, with uh, Alzheimer's and also they can lower, for example, the PSI um, if you possibly have prostate cancer. So there is a lot of medicinal benefits from fungi and there's lots of um, yummy things we can eat with fungi. (laughs) Look, (laughs) Well, I'm glad we were able to leave that on a bit of a positive note because let me say there's a lot of of hectic reporting going on at the moment. Um, We needed an expert view. Dr. Heike Neumeister-Kemp, thank you so much for coming on Hack and breaking that down for us. No worries. Take care. Hack on Triple J. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.